The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Good morning, church. I praise God for you. Really thankful for the opportunity to be here with you today, worship the Lord, and study his word. We're going to get into that in just a second. If you don't know this, I'm Vince. I'm one of the pastors here, and I do a lot of the Bible teaching, and that's the main bulk of my job right now. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to give everyone an update. Uh, basically, yesterday about this time, uh, wherever you were sitting was covered with a bunch of backpacks that were stuffed for kids, and uh, every one of those went out. So we gave up a little over 700 backpacks yesterday, which I'm really thankful for. It's probably worth clapping about if you were wondering. Yeah, that's a good thing. Amen. So uh, blessed a bunch of people, a bunch of families. We had a, an insert in there that really kind of had a, um, a gospel-shaped Christmas message to point people to Jesus in this time. And so really thankful for all the Lord's going to do in that as, as the kind of circles reverberate out from that, that effort. So, uh, and we were able to do that in, in conjunction with and partnership with several other local churches, some local businesses, people in the community, and then all of you here that helped in all the various ways that we needed help. So just want to thank everyone that did anything about it, prayed about it, thought about it, gave towards it. Really appreciate all of that. Amen. <clears throat> uh, if you would, please turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 1. Uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 38. Uh, we're continuing in our Advent series. It's called Hark, uh, kind of a play off of the uh, hymn Hark the herald angels sing, and, and we're, we're taking a little bit different track through the Christmas story this year. We're, we're tracing our way along through the, the series of angelic announcements that coincide with the incarnation, the birth of Christ. And so we started that last week with the announcement to Zacharias of the birth of his son, John. And uh, if you missed that, this is all going to kind of tie together, so it'd be good for you to kind of loop back and look at that. But we're going to continue this week. Uh, with the announcement to Mary about Jesus. And so I hope you found the book of Luke. As I said, we're in chapter 1, and we're going to go 26 through 38. Okay. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. Praise God for his word. Lots of gold, lots of gold to show you in here today. Lots I had to leave alone where we'd be here far longer than we probably should. Let's, uh, here's, here's the plan. I want to go back, work through these verses with you, kind of get the lay of the land, make sure we're understanding what's happening in the text, and then we'll work towards uh, some application here. Okay, so verse 26, let's go back and look at that. Some, some things we need to know uh, about Nazareth. So verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And inter- interestingly, this is the first mention you will see in the scriptures of the city of Nazareth. Nazareth was such a not special place. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, and it's not mentioned much in the New Testament other than to say that Jesus uh, was Jesus' hometown. Why is that? Well, um, water was a key uh, factor for cities of this time. There was one small well in Nazareth, which is commonly referred to now as, as Mary's well. Uh, but they were 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee and not really near any main roads, at least several miles away from any main thoroughfares. And so Nazareth was a tiny little place, okay? It was off the beaten path, and it was not well regarded by those in the region around that time. If you go to John 1, you'll see Nathaniel making a comment to Philip, and he'll say, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip says, come, let me show you. Amen to that, right? <laughs> Something good did come from Nazareth, <laughs> the king of glory. But uh, Nazareth was unremarkable in every way. Uh, It would probably do us well just to think about why God would do that. There's lots of reasons, but I don't have time to unpack all that right now. But you think about it this week. There's a lot I'm just going to point at. I I can't get into all of this. I'm going to point at it, and I'm hoping you'll take it and marinate on it throughout your week, okay? So verse 27 uh, here we're introduced to a, a few key facts, okay? And they're, they're gonna, those key facts, they're gonna flesh out more as we work through the text, all right? What, what am I talking about? Well, to a virgin engaged to a man, so an angel showed up to a virgin who's engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, we're not gonna get too far in the weeds on this, but there, there is some debate as to who this phrase of the de- of the descendants, I almost said defendants, no one needs to defend David, we're talking about his descendants. Of the descendants of David, who is that referring to? Is it referring to Mary or to David? Okay, so, uh, and I'm not going to get into all of the argumentation for it, but just I want you to know that people have different ideas about that. So, but, and why am I not going to get into all the argumentation? Because I don't think at the end of the day, uh, it matters that much because you get to the same point, okay? The point is, it's a tie here that Jesus' lineage is going to tie back to David. That's important from a prophetic standpoint, and I'm going to show you that, okay? So what, what does that mean? Here's what you need to know. You, you're welcome to think either way about it. It's, so if, if of the descendants of David is referring to Mary in that, and it's a little confusing, the original language. It's, it's you know, I understand why there's some debate here, Okay. It's either referring to Mary, and so that means Jesus is physically descended from David through Mary's line. You understand? Right? Because Joseph's not actually Jesus' daddy, right? God is. Okay, so we got that. So it's either, it's either a reference to Mary, and that means he's physically descended, or to Joseph, okay? And, and that seems, to, to me, seems to be the case. But, and, and so what do we have there? What, what is, why is that important? Well, it it gives us a foreshadowing of the power and the beauty 
and the full legality from God's perspective of adoption. Language that will then be transferred and used to describe what it is God does for us in Christ by adopting us as his sons and daughters, right? Where we are literally given, taken from the status of unrighteous, filthy and wicked, and then given this full legal justified status as righteous before God in the same way that Christ is by faith, by trusting him, okay? So there's something to that, I think. Um, and that makes Jesus a descendant of David in a no less legitimate way, in, in my view, based on how we see God then use that adoption idea to describe bringing us in to his family, right? It's, it obviously counts to God, okay? The only other thing I would, I would offer you is if you go to Luke 3, you'll see a, a genealogy of Jesus, different from the one in Matthew, that traces Joseph's line, okay? And uh, that, that makes me think that if Luke's going to write a genealogy for Jesus tracing through Joseph's line, that to me, it makes me feel like Dr. Luke thinks that this, this adoption that happens is significant. Significant enough to trace Joseph's genealogy, Okay. There you go. If you'd like to go nerd out on Google later about all the debates on why people think what about that, please be my guest. It's very interesting if you're a nerd. Okay, all right. Verse 28 through 29. <clears throat> many, many see this as a sign of Mary's humility, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just show you that. So, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favor one. The Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. So Mary's confused. And what, what do we see there? It's, it's almost as if Mary, why is she confused? Because he says favored one. It's, it, that, that to me seems to be what's perplexing her. That's really all he said to her so far, right? And, and I think it has a lot to do with Mary knowing her station. She's a young girl from Nazareth. Okay, she's not expecting to be anything special in the eyes of God, to be favored, and she, like so. What what does this mean? It's almost like, uh, like who who me? You know, it's like the looking behind her. You know, is there someone else in the room? Type situation. So that's and how how could that be? What what do you mean? Well, then thankfully Gabriel wastes no time. He goes on to explain. Okay, so we see that in verses thirty. Through 33. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Remember last week I told you, basically, almost every time an angel pops up, they have to say, don't be afraid, <laughs> okay? Uh, which makes sense to me. For you found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. There's, there's no mistaking here what Gabriel is saying. We could miss it, but surely Mary wouldn't have. So I want to make sure we don't miss it, okay? Um, he, he is speaking clearly to her of the long-awaited Messiah. That this son she's going to bear, Jesus, is the Messiah. We may not pick that up right away in what Gabriel says, but I'm going to tell you why we should. Okay? First of all, this would tie back to uh, uh, a prophecy back in the book of 2 Samuel. So this is 2 Samuel 7.16. These are words of God spoken through the mouth of the prophet to King David. 
Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay? That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> but here's, here's the issue. This, that, for that to happen, and especially from Mary's vantage point in history, that, that, would, that would be a really big deal. And it would require a miracle, okay, to even accomplish what, what the Jews of the day thought it meant. Now, we're going to look at what it, it means even more than they thought it meant. But for them, for even, even for the, the low expectations they had of what this continuation of David's throne was supposed to look like, we're talking about needing a miracle. Why? Well, if, if you trace back, you've got King David, then you've got King Solomon, and then his son Rehoboam. And it doesn't take long for Rehoboam to mess things up, right? And then so Jeroboam takes and splits off, and right there you have the kingdom uh, of God, you know, on earth at that time, split into a northern and southern kingdom. You have the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, right? So Judah led by Rehoboam, Israel led by Jeroboam, all right? So things are already, so, so the, the promise for this kind of unified kingdom under the Davidic throne is already in jeopardy, okay, at that point. It's like, well, you know, stuff happens. Maybe things got better. No, they did not, okay? They did not get better because then after they split up, right? Family skirmish. Then they're conquered and ruled in subsequent order by the Babylonians, the Persians, then the Greeks, and then finally the Romans. So they, they split apart and then there are conquered people from then on until the time of Jesus. And so during that time, so, so you know, the, the Persians whoop the Babylonians, the Greeks whoop the Persians and the Romans show up and they, they topple the Greeks. And so now Rome's expanding its, its kind of mega power across the ancient world. And so during that time, right, so the time of, of when these verses are recording, right, so the time of Mary, the time of Jesus' birth, there was no kingdom or geographic region called Israel. There wasn't one, okay? That, that area that would have been Israel, it was divided into smaller territories. So you had Galilee in the north, you had Samaria in the central hill country, and then Judea in the south. And those were all under Roman rule. They were all under different, you'll hear the word Herod, so there's different Herods, and that can be real confusing as you read the New Testament, but different Herods were over Galilee, Judea, Samaria, okay? So uh, <clears throat> the throne of David, and here's my point. This is, this is why this, is sh this would be shocking to the ears of Mary, even as, insofar as she understood what it meant, all right? The throne of David had been long gone in any physical sense for a long time, right? So those, we need to kind of nod our hat to those that, uh, or tip our hat in respect to those that at this time were holding any real faith for the fulfillment of these kind of prophecies, man. It didn't look good at all, okay? But this promise for this perpetual enthronement of the Davidic descendants, all right, it's fulfilled in Christ. And how is that? Because he rules over the, the language here is rules over the house of Jacob, Who's the house of Jacob? Well, the house of Jacob, that's, that's the point in which Jacob's name is changed to Israel. There's 12 tribes. That's where you really start to see the, the promise to Abraham kind of fill out and begin to be you know, visible. But really, we're talking about the descendants of Abraham, right? The house of Jacob is the descendants of Abraham. Abraham's the one that kicked this thing off when God asked him to believe him in faith that he'd give him a son in Isaac, right? So that's, that's where the beginning of this this redemptive work uh, began. And so that promise is fulfilled in Christ. And, and here's, here's why I'm saying that. So that it's, it's not that, you know, 
I'm sure what everyone thought that meant was David's descendants were going to rule a kingdom of Israel forever. That's what, I mean, that's as far as you would understand that to mean. But it's far bigger than that. It's far bigger than that because the kingdom of God was bigger than they understood. The intention was never just to deal with Israel. He grabbed Israel and set them apart because he had a specific mission for them to be his people, to be set apart in their time, to reflect to the world his goodness and character, but also that through their line would come a Messiah to save Israel, to be sure, but also to save the whole world. And everybody the same way, by faith in him. I don't know, Pastor Vince, it seems like you're stretching. Well, Paul just spells it out for us in Galatians, which we'll be jumping back into when we're done with Advent, probably. Uh, Galatians 3.29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. If you, you didn't like that as much as you should have. Let me try it again. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Amen. All right? So the kingdom of David through Christ is still, in, it's intact. And I'm a part of it. <laughs> That's my king sitting on the throne. A descendant of David. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse 34 together. So he, he explains what's going to happen. He, she, this is clear. It's a clear reference to messianic prophecy. She would know what he's talking about. The next detail she's wondering about is not how all of that prophecy is going to particularly be fulfilled. She has a little bit of a more practical question. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? That's a perfect, it's a perfectly reasonable question, don't you think? You know, if I was in Mary's shoes, this would have been at the top of the list of things I'm wondering. Hey, Gabriel, one thing. How's, like, how's this going to work, my man? So <laughs> uh, I think that's, it's perfectly reasonable. But what, again, thankfully, Gabriel's not here to play word games or, or give a big speech. He's, he cuts right to the point. So he's going to explain. How's, so how's that going to happen? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So what in short, the short answer is, how is this going to happen? I, I'm going to bear this son, the Messiah we've all been waiting for, and I'm a virgin. How's that going to work? The short answer is, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Amen. And, you know, I, I, some struggle. So for, for somebody that's coming from a, a naturalistic, kind of atheistic framework that, that doesn't yet believe there's a God that created everything, I, I can understand why. Uh, a, a, the miracle of a virgin birth could be hard for them to conceptualize and or believe. Uh, but there's even those that, that claim to believe in the God of the Bible that seem to struggle with the virgin birth. And almost there, there's, been, there's been certain movements that have said, well, there's, there's lots of metaphors in the Bible, you know? So maybe this is one too. We'll just, virgin births are hard to explain. So let's, let's just... Tuck that behind the Christmas tree, right? Presents, look, presents. Forget about the virgin birth. Here's the thing, man. Um, We can't do that, okay? 
Uh, we believe in a God of miracles, right? And here's, here's the thing. I, I don't, I'm not trying to be sassy here, but if, if we believe in a God who created the world, creates the world ex nihilo, right? Out of nothing. How is it then that we struggle with a virgin birth? Like half the pieces are already there. <laughs> you feel me? So I'm getting, I'm getting frustrated. You can tell when my language gets a little hood, that's when I'm getting frustrated. <laughs> Pull it back in. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> if God created all things, this is not that big of a deal. I understand for us it's a big deal. It's a mind bender. I get that. But there's lots of stuff God has done and does that's a mind bender. This is a miracle. I think we should embrace the beauty of that and, and the reality of it, okay? Um, there's no ambiguity here. This is not meant to be a metaphor. This is a recording of what happened. Okay, so Gabriel the angel visited Mary as a virgin and told her she was going to give birth to a son and that was going to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, when it says son of God here, okay, let's, let's just look at that one more time. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The, most high, the power of the Most High will shadow you overshadow you, and, and for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. <clears throat> this, this is one of the first glimpses we get, right? We, we're on the other side of this story, and so we, we forget as it's unfolding how much, how much mystery is here for those that are, that are like walking through it, okay? This, this really right here, this reference to, that he, because of how this conception is going to happen, this, is, the, this son, Jesus, is going to be called the Son of God. It's really the first hand tip we get towards this idea that the Messiah is going to be more than a man. This is the first clue we get that we're looking at an incarnation here, that God himself is going to become a man through Christ, okay? And why do I say that? Well, maybe we wouldn't pick up on that, but this would also have been something that would have perked up Mary's ears, because in, in that time, to call yourself a, a son of God, we, we kind of throw that around, and we should definitely be reverent about the fact that we've been made sons and daughters of God, it's okay that we refer to ourselves that way. The Bible does. But in this time, it had more meaning than... than we didn't have the full gospel. So we didn't, we didn't have this idea that people could be made sons of God in the same way Jesus is by taking on his righteousness through faith and by, by grace. That, that whole thing wasn't unpacked yet, right? So for, for them to hear son of God, it meant something different. It meant equality with God, making yourself out to be God. If you look at John 5.18... It says, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So this is one of the, you know, this, this whole idea, as Jesus starts to talk about it when he's in, as, as an adult in, in his ministry, this is one of the times people get so ticked off, they pick up rocks to kill him. What did you just say? You, you know what I mean? They, they, no. Okay, so this had more meaning than we pick up on. It's, it's like the first, one of the first hand tilts you're going to see as the thing's unpacking on, in real time that what we're looking at here is, is something more than just a human man that God's going to use to deliver the people of Israel. Something bigger going on here. Amen. All right. Verse 36 and 37. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing 
will be impossible with God. I see this as a, as a gracious and, and gentle nudge to help Mary think through the shock of what she was hearing. Uh, if you put, herself in your sho- put yourself in her shoes, this is a lot, okay? Mary is engaged to Joseph to be married. Mary had plans. <laughs> Mary had some stuff going on, and then an angel showed up and said, hey, by the way, long-awaited Messiah, you're going to give birth to him, and it's going to be a virgin conception. Okay, so that's a lot. That's a lot to process. And so here I I just see the graciousness of God being handed out here to Mary through Gabriel. It's this gentle nudge. He's like, hey, think. I know this is a lot, but think about this. You, You know Elizabeth. You know that she was barren. You know that it doesn't make any sense that she's six months pregnant, but look, right? So he's, he's just calmly, you know, it's like gently taking her face and saying, all right, quit, quit looking at how freaked out you are and all the questions you got right over here just for a second. Let, let's think about this. How many times has God shown that he can do the impossible? Now, this is a new level of impossible, okay? This isn't just an old man, an old lady making a baby. This is a young lady and no man making a baby, okay? So... <laughs> This is different. <laughs> so, so God's done it that way before, amen. But let me just assure you, Mary, nothing, nothing, nothing is going to be impossible with God. Nothing. Aren't you glad that's true? I'm so glad that's true. Amen. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I, I want you to hear me when I say this. I've, I've thought carefully about this statement and, and I mean it. Okay, so this isn't hyperbole on my part. Given the circumstances in which it was said, I personally believe that these right here, these words from Mary are some of the most inspiring and humbling and convicting words ever spoken by a mere human mouth in all of history. Why do I say that? Because of everything we already said, the weight of what this was, the shock she surely was going through. She didn't get an hour-long counseling session with the angel to kind of calm her nerves about all the implications from this. He said, hey, remember, Elizabeth's pregnant. That's wild, right? God did that. Nothing's going to be impossible with him. And from that, she says, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Friends, I've already given you a bunch of extra around these verses. I'm going to give you some more. We're going to draw some application out. I'm going to show you some things in here. And, And this is all, it's all God's word. It's all powerful and it's all worthwhile. But listen to me. If, you're, if you've only got the bandwidth to think about one thing this week, go home and think about this. Think about all that Mary was facing, all that she had just heard, and her response. And then apply it. Apply it to yourself. Apply it and, and ask the Lord what it would look like for you to stand in the place she's standing in. Because it's right. And it's precious. And it's wonderful. Amen.
Now, as I told you last week, there is, <clears throat> there's an Advent tradition and there's people kind of split the weeks up and have different significances behind them. Uh, but the one I've kind of chosen as a, a sub-guide alongside these angelic announcements uh, as we work through this Advent series is this tradition that sees each of the four weeks representing an element of God's goodness given to us as a gift through Christ, coming to live and die and, and rise among us. And so last week was hope. And we, we saw elements of, of hope in the story of Zacharias and his angelic encounter. Um, and, and the second week, based on the one I'm working off of here, is peace. Right? So it's hope, peace, joy, and then love. And so I want to show you, I, I see four ways here. There's more, but I, you know, you're not going to remember 16 ways that I see peace in these scriptures. So I whittled it down to four. Um, four ways that the peace of God is evident in this exchange between Mary and the angel Gabriel, okay? And this, this would represent, uh, for those of you that like application better than explanation, get your pens ready because we're at that part of the show, okay? Amen. So I'm gonna, I want to show you four ways that I see the peace. Of, and, when, and what do I mean when I say the peace of God? That's important. I don't, we shouldn't take for granted everybody knows what I'm talking about. Because the word peace, like many other words, hits various people at various points of, of understanding. When we're talking about the peace of God, that's a, that's a distinction and something set apart from maybe like a general sense of peace someone ha- might have. And what, what do I mean by that? You know, like, <clears throat> like a temporary sense of tranquility, right? You, you sit down, you write the light, or I'm struggling today, light the right candle. I was going to say write the light candle. Nope, don't do that. Light the right candle. You know, you sit down, you're in your favorite chair, you got, your, you got a book, you got your favorite hot drink, and you just feel that sense of tranquility, right? I'm talking about more than that, because that sense of tranquility would go away if you had forgotten something on the stove, and all of a sudden there's smoke pouring out of the kitchen, right? It's, it's subject to being changed by circumstances. You understand what I mean? I'm not talking about temporary tranquility based on your circumstances. I'm talking about the peace of God. The peace of God is something different. It's an abiding unchanging, concrete thing. It's based out of his character, his goodness, the promises of his word, things that don't change. It's something you can have in all circumstances in the midst of every difficulty. The peace of God, right? It's, it's, it's more than a feeling. It's, it's, a, it's a reality of, of wholeness and completeness even. That it, contentment is, is in there, right? Um, that no matter what is happening externally, on the inside, and this, it doesn't, this doesn't mean you're never frantic. It doesn't mean if the house was on fire, you have to walk with a calm, gentle smile on your face to grab the fire extinguisher and gently... No. You, it, my point is, if, if, I wanted to be, if I wanted to play that, that analogy out, I would say, what's going on in your heart once the fire is out and all your stuff is burned? That's where the peace of God comes in. Okay, so if you know if you need if you need to run and put out a fire, don't feel convicted. That doesn't mean you don't have the peace of God. But how do you feel after the fire? What are you thinking about? Okay, there we go. All right, that wasn't in the notes. I'm gonna have to probably skip something now. Nah, you'll be okay. <laughs> you guys had breakfast, I'm sure. All the non-breakfast eaters are so nervous. Like, what does this mean? No, we're <laughs> we're okay. You're gonna be all right. This won't take long. So four ways I see peace. So that you can, as a, as a result of, of 
the incarnation and out of the example we see of, of how Mary stands and how Mary responds as, as, as she gets this message from Gabriel, things that we can take and translate into uh, our own life. Okay, so the first way is, is we can have peace in our position. You can have peace in your position. There's an, <clears throat> there's an interesting contrast here, a juxtaposition, if you will, that you might miss. It's, it's not a coincidence that Gabriel, the same angel, is recorded as going to Zacharias, giving him a message, and then you, you kind of see how that goes down, and then coming to Mary and giving her a message, and those being bumped up right next to each other. The expectation is you'd be reading this all together. We broke it into a couple weeks, but I want to make sure we, we, we glue it back together as it should be. Both people receiving a message, but standing in very different positions. Okay? Zacharias was a priest, well-respected, probably had a little money, okay? A man, which in this time was a factor, okay? He receives a message from Gabriel. And, you, you know, you, you may have wondered, <clears throat> you know, when Zacharias asked the question, like, how, well, how, will I, how will I know this is going to happen? You know, he got struck mute, had to carry a notepad for the next nine months, right? And then, and then Mary says, well, how will this be? And, and Gabriel's like, oh, sweetheart, don't worry. Remember Elizabeth, nothing's impossible with God. Like, hold on, what? Hold on. Well, here is the thing. <laughs> Two things. One, I already, I already pointed out the distinction between Mary's news and Zacharias' news. There was already an example of God doing the exact same thing Zacharias was being told was going to happen in Abraham and Sarah. Like the, the expectation would be Zacharias, the priest, you would think he would think of that in that moment, right? So, and, but there's also, it's also interesting to think about this. There's, there's something to Zacharias' question. He has to walk out of the temple now, he thinks, and explain to everyone what just happened. Zacharias is standing in a higher social position as a man, first of all, in this time, which, which wasn't right, but it was what it was, as a priest. So he's got to come out here and say, yeah, I saw an angel in there, and he said, my old wife's going to have a baby. There was, there was likely some concern and pride and image management happening in Zacharias' heart. Like, probably part of what he's asking Gabriel for is like, hey, bro, can you light a bush on fire outside and help me out with this news? Is there something we can do here? Give me a staff that turns into a snake, anything. I'll, I'll take anything. But I don't really want to walk out of here and sound like a nutcase, right? And so Gabriel helped him out. You can't talk, <laughs> right? So, but, but you can, but so Zacharias was, was you know, his, his position in relation to God and to people was, was like, very likely working against him there. Whereas Mary, who is already a young girl from a very humble little nowhere town that everybody already didn't like, right? She hears this news and, and, and she's got bigger problems potentially than Zacharias, Right? Because a virgin birth is hard to explain. It looks like something else happened. Do you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> if you don't, come see me afterwards, and I'll help you with that. <clears throat> and we'll call your parents and tell them that they should have done a better job. But anyways, um, <laughs> that would probably should, I probably shouldn't have said that. Anyways. Yep. <laughs> Strike that from the record. Um, 
But do you see what I'm saying? So Mary had peace in her position. And here's one thing I just want you to see out of this. Because you're all, you're all sitting or standing in a position today in relation to other people, in your own perception of your position in relation to the Lord, at your job, with your family, all of that. And, and I just want you to draw something from the peace that Mary had in her position and to apply that to you. Because there's all kinds of ways you could have a lack of peace about your position in your family, at work, here among the people of God. And there's, there's a contentment that can come when, when the peace of God is present in your life. There's a contentment with your position. And that doesn't, I'm not saying you don't strive for growth or to change your position according to God's will. Yes and amen, for sure, we should. But, but what are we doing with where we're at at the moment? in our hearts and in our minds. We should have peace with our position, okay? Secondly, uh, I see here the opportunity to have the peace of God in the midst of punches, okay? In the midst of punches. And and I know that's a little bit off kilter, but I'm thinking of the phrase, I'm I'm assuming most of you have heard of it, to roll with the punches. Have you heard that phrase before? It's in, in a strict kind of boxing or martial arts sense, it doesn't translate quite as well to the idea where most people, when they say roll with the punches, what they mean is, I've got hard things happening, I just kind of kind of got to move with it, right? And I mean, the same idea could be said, you know, if, if you're in a boxing match, you wanna, you're rolling with the punches so that as they come, they're glancing off and not knocking you flat, okay? So, I mean, the idea, it's all there. So here's, here's the bottom line. Uh, <clears throat> in case you haven't noticed yet, life is full of difficult and unexpected circumstances, Can you at least say amen to that? You're like, I don't know about anything else he's saying, but life is full of difficult and unexpected circumstances. Wow, the mic got really loud when I did that. Did you hear that? That was cool. Now I know if I want to emphasize something, I'll just scratch my nose like, and God said, right? No, I won't do that. Everyone's like, Gabriel, are you here? No. Um, Life is full of difficult and unexpected circumstances. So, Here's one thing I want you to consider about that. The, the, the source of the punches can be different. <laughs> Sometimes, like in this situation we're reading about today, okay, the punch comes from the father, right? This wasn't the devil. The devil didn't send Gabriel to give Mary this very hard to digest message about giving birth to the Messiah. You understand this, right? But this was a challenge. This was going to mean lots of challenges. This was going to mean a fiance that was going to have to believe her. This was going to mean a bunch of people pointing at her belly, making assumptions because they knew they hadn't been invited yet. There's five people in Nazareth. I didn't go to Joseph and Mary's wedding, so. You feel me? So that's, that's part of the problem. But, and so this could feel like a punch and it could feel like it's coming from the father, but here's what I want you to always remember. When the punch comes from the father, it is not to harm but it has the same intention that a sparring partner has, okay? I'm, and I'm not going any deeper into the, into the boxing MMA analogy this week, all right? I know, you guys are like, come on, dude, pick something else. But if you've got a good sparring partner, your sparring partner ain't trying to knock you out. Your sparring partner, though, is gonna throw punches to try to make you move and make you think and make you grow as a fighter, okay? God the Father is about this thing, this promise of conforming us into his image. And one of, the, one of the ways you could think about that would be God as a, as a really good sparring partner or trainer because in one way, one of the analogies that the Bible picks for 
understanding what navigating this life is like is that it is a fight. Which is why Ephesians 6 tells you you better strap some armor on. But you're also going to need to know how to box. <laughs> okay? All right? So sometimes God, like a, good, like a good sparring partner or fight trainer, he'll throw a punch at you. But um, he's also then, he's, he's so powerful, he's on the other side of the thing, helping you dodge the punch that he sent. Right? That's, he's, he's on a whole other level. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes the punch can come from the Lord. Sometimes it comes from ourselves or the world. Sometimes... You know, we're doing this stuff, punching ourselves in the face repeatedly with our ignorant choices, um, with our misconceptions and, and our own struggles. Sometimes it's just the very fact that we are navigating through a cursed, broken world, punches will come. There's difficulties that exist simply as a result of the fact that things are not as they should be yet. Part of what we're clinging to every day but looking forward to during the Advent season is the promise that one day all things that have been broken as a result of sin are going to be made right. Man. Mm-mm-mm. I'm looking forward to that. So sometimes we're punching ourselves. Sometimes it's a broken world. And, and then sometimes it's the enemy. Some, there are dark spiritual forces in the world that would like to cause harm to those that serve and love Jesus. And so sometimes there's a, a, a spiritual battle element, Okay. But here's, here's what I want you to really think about, really remember in that. Proverbs 16.9 is helpful in this. It says, The mind of a person plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The mind of a person plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Okay? You're going to have deviations from your plan happen. Unexpected, difficult things are going to happen. And these are going to feel like punches coming from various angles. And sometimes they hurt. Sometimes they catch you, right? Square in the jaw, okay? But we can draw some strength here from Mary's example because Gabriel showing up and saying, you're going to be pregnant with the Messiah and it's going to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're still going to be a virgin. I feel very confident that that was a deviation from her plan. You agree? Pretty significant deviation from her plan, but here's the question. As she's receiving, she's got enough faith and enough humility that even when she doesn't understand how this deviation from her plan could possibly be good, she says, behold the bondservant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And that's part of what I'm talking about. You, many of us can get to behold the bondservant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Once we feel like we understand exactly how God's going to do every single thing he's going to do to make it be all right for us. Once I know all of your secrets, Lord, once I know the, the, the totality of your plan, once you give me the ability to have your infinite mind, then I'll fully submit. That's not how it works. Okay? The submission's going to have to come first because you're not going to get it. His ways are higher. His thoughts are better. He's going to do stuff you're not going to understand. And, and the right aunt, Mary said it really beautifully. I'm going to say it kind of jagged. Thank you, Lord. May I have another is the right answer. Right? Like, that's it. Amen. But the question is, she couldn't see how it was better, but was it better? This was a deviation from her plan. She was planning a wedding, and now she's got to plan a baby shower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's different. Um, 
you know? So what <clears throat> was it was it better? And 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 clearly, she didn't know right now, but we have the benefit of the rest of the story unfurled. This deviation from her plan was better. It was, it was better for her, and it wasn't just about her. It was better for everyone else as well. And that's something we need to keep in mind when those punches come, and we're feeling like we have to pivot a bunch, and we're starting to feel discouraged about whether or not I, I, I can respond to God like Mary did here, whether I can trust him. Look, man, because here's, here's part of how we process it. It's like we, we stare at the, the, the totality of the situation from our vantage point. We stare hard at it and we're looking for evidence of many times of, of God's promise happening, right? Where's the good in this? I'm, I'm looking for the good, but I don't see it. Well, friends, sometimes it's going to be outside the scope of your vision because it's not even about you. Sometimes God is going to mess up your plan and it's about somebody else. Thank God he messed up Mary's plan. It's helping me today because Mary submitted to God's plan. My king was born. My savior was born. Hallelujah. And you can rest in this, man. You're never going to have your plan jacked up as much as Mary did. There's no need for another savior virgin conception. Okay? You're safe. All right, so anything God's going to ask you to do will probably slide somewhere underneath that level of commitment, all right? Hallelujah. Not just birth him, but raise him. And then watch her son be crucified. Think about it, man. Mm-mm-mm. There's also peace in his power. We should have peace in his power. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power, the power, the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called Son of God. Friends, you can, you can think about creation. You can think about the various miracles throughout the story of redemption. Um, whatever it is, but, but fill your mind with examples of the power of God so that when you're tempted to be full of concern and worry, when you're tempted to have an answer other than behold the bondservant of the Lord, do with me what you will, um, have your heart and mind filled with examples of the power of God and have peace in that. And I don't mean temporary tranquility. I mean an abiding peace. That means you can walk through whatever it is you're looking at, whatever it is feels like is up against you, whatever it is is throwing punches at you, okay? The last thing I'm gonna give you is that there's peace in his presence. We see this, we see this plainly. Um, you gotta go back a little bit, but... Um, Verse 28, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And when I'm talking about building up this, this peace of God in our lives, it's, it's important, friends. The book of Philippians says that the peace of God, it'll guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is not some fanciful thing. I'm working hard to make this distinction today between whatever our kind of shallow perception of peace might be and how the, how the Bible characterizes the peace of God. This is a concrete thing that can defend you. The peace of God will defend your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, okay? It's important, man. This is big. And so we can have peace in his presence. It's interesting to me that Gabriel, in beginning to unpack this <laughs> challenging, shall we say, message, he starts by letting Mary know the Lord is with you. You're favored by him, but he's, he's with you. 
And remember when Jesus was giving his last instructions to his disciples, telling them to go into all the world, right? To preach the gospel, to make disciples, teach them how to obey Jesus. To say, lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. The promise of God's presence is one of the greatest sources of peace we can ever reach for. And, and what is it? How is it that we can cling to that today? Should we? Because I don't think most of you have had a Gabriel or any of his buddies show up and say to you, greetings, favorite one, the Lord is with you. Right? Um, maybe you have, but I don't think most of you have. So most of us don't have that. So how can we know? Why should we think the Lord is with us? Well, Friends, we have the promise of his presence because of the grace we've received through his gospel. This is part of what the good news entails. And and by the way, it's interesting that we're we're tracing these angelic announcements, right? And so an angel, Gabriel was, I don't know, Gabriel must be a favorite. He got to tell Zacharias what was going on and Mary. That's pretty cool, right? So those were big announcements. That was big news, but it's, it's really interesting that the, like, the best news, the good news of the gospel, it was so important. It was so eternally vital that an angel couldn't deliver the whole message. Jesus had to come and deliver it himself. Right? You don't see the fullness of the gospel spelled out by the mouth of an angel. The Lord Jesus himself had to come to be born in Bethlehem, to grow up in the house of Mary and Joseph, and then strike out and begin to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Good news that started with repentance. Repent. That's what John the Baptist, that's part of how, that was his whole deal in making the way. John was just out in the wilderness hollering at everybody, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That softened him up for Jesus to come behind and say, yes, repent. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. What you've been looking for, what you've been waiting for, I'm here and it's more than you ever thought it was going to be. Because this isn't just about a physical kingdom of Israel. This is about saving the world. This is about rescuing the world from their sin. And today, right now, in this moment, dear friend, you stand in one of two places. You either have acknowledged, you have answered the call of both John the Baptist and Jesus, and you have repented. You have acknowledged humbly that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and you have acknowledged Jesus as that Savior. You've asked him to rescue you. You've either done that, and as a result of that, have the promise of always having the presence of God. Because part of what that now means is, according to the scriptures, once you surrender to Jesus, given a new heart, and then the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you. There is now no temple in the New Testament. There's not a place we go to to commune with God. He has made us, his people, his temple. And so you have presence of God with you at all times, which means you can have the abiding peace of God with you at all times. You either stand there or you stand in a place where you do not have the promise of the presence of God because you have yet to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you need a savior and ask Jesus to be that savior. But the only thing standing between where you are and this other spot I described is a humble recognition that you need a savior and for you to reach out by faith and ask Jesus to do it because he said he would. He'd meet you right there. He won't reject someone that calls out humbly knowing that they need his help. The presence of God, friends. I, I, would, I would say 
the, all the rest of those kind of, those, those evidences and ways to see the peace of God as possible throughout this interaction, those are all predicated upon the last one I gave you. The presence of God is how I can have peace in his power and how I can have peace when the punches are coming and how I can have peace in my position in life, whatever that is and whatever realm I'm considering. Amen? I need the presence of God for that. I'm not gonna have that without the truth of the gospel operating in my life, without being saved by grace, by God's grace alone, through faith, which is me reaching out to receive that grace and acknowledging that I need it in Christ alone. That's where we stand, friends. I pray the peace of God is ever growing, ever, ever growing in your life, that you abide in it for your good and for the glory of our King. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for Dr. Luke, for his attention to detail, um, for the things that he caught and the things that he wrote. Thank you for the glimpses we get to see of your peace throughout this entire account. Lord, I know there may be some within the sound of my voice, some listening over the live stream that even as I've labored to try to make this distinction between the peace of God and, and some kind of temporary sense of tranquility, they, they st- it's still not clicking for them. And, and Lord, I know it's because it's something that's spiritually discerned. Um, the things of God oftentimes can seem as foolishness until you reveal it to us. And so I'm just asking, uh, I am asking you, Lord, to help us, help each one of us. If, if there's somebody that is in that position, Lord, I'm asking you to move them towards humble prayer, to ask for your help, that they would understand your peace, that they would see it for what it is, that they would desire it, they would pray for it, that they would, they would be restless until they have it. Uh, because if we don't have your peace, Lord, we're forced into all these other coping mechanisms to try to survive. We were, we were made for your peace. We were made for your presence. That's what we were made for. So if we don't have that, we gotta figure out some way to survive in this wreck of a world. And all those survival techniques hurt us. All those survival techniques cause destruction. And so God, I'm I'm just asking you to help us get out of those. Help us to abandon those things and to walk towards the peace that you provide. Thank you for the promise of your presence. God is precious to us. We know we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing that your plan all along (laughs) wasn't a tabernacle in the desert. It wasn't a temple in Jerusalem, but it was to dwell in your people. Not just for our benefit, not just so that we could commune with you, but so that your power could move through the world to continue to share this good news, this good news that only Christ himself could give. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done in us today, the power of your word and your desire to continue to shape us and mold us into your image. Behold the bondservants of the Lord. May it be done to us. May it be done to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.